0: Whatever you want to do it is fine by being good. So we're in a series right now called Like a Son, and we're exploring what it means to travel from uh, different kinds of hearts, different kinds of foundational thinkings, into what it means to be a son of God. Last week we talked about the orphan, the orphan spirit, who's far from God and, and uh, is, is kind of in rebellion of God, trying to be their own God, and we discussed how the orphan needs to come home. Well, today we're talking about the slave heart. The heart that is kind of resenting God isn't really happy with how this is working out and how that that servant needs to enter the party or how that son needs to enter the party to enjoy what it's like to be a son. So as we explore the slave heart today uh, and where they're coming from and how they can be a son, let me me begin, because this journey has been a long journey for me. This sermon's probably a couple of years in the making, this series is. And where I've been exploring and learning what it means to actually live like, and I have a lot to learn, to be honest with you, an actual son of a father rather than just a servant of a king. And so as we think about that, as I took the journey, the first question that really began to harass me was, uh, is it okay to be a slave? I mean, Paul and all the apostles at one time or another called themselves slaves of Christ. And so uh, that was my first question. Is it all right to live my Christian life, like some kind of slave slash servant. And, and so there are different ways we can live a slave. Obviously, we can't live as slaves to sin, right? We, we can't live in that kind of slavery. And, and what does that mean? Paul say, or Peter says um, about false prophets, it says that they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption, for you are slave to whatever controls you. The human condition has got to serve something. No human being... Is actually autonomous or independent. You cannot be God of your own life, no matter how hard you try, no matter how strong you think you are. Sooner or later, life will teach you that you don't actually have strength. And so, if you live your life in a, as a slave in the sense that you do what you want to do, you're in charge. That's darkness, it's not light. You're a servant to the darkness. And so, uh, it's not okay to be that kind of slave. It's not okay to be a slave to sin and to evil. It says, God, Peter also wrote, you are, you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. So there's only one way to be a child of God, and it does start in the place of being a servant, serving God. He becomes the boss of your life. He rules over you, okay? What he says goes, what you say, uh, he listens to. And probably quietly dismisses a lot of times, but nonetheless, okay? Um, Excuse me. A little bit congested again today, so I I think I'm allergic to my wife, so pray for me. Um, (laughs) Romans (laughs) 6:10. Romans 6:16 says, Don't you realize that you become the slave to whatever you choose to obey? Now, listen to this: it says, You can be a slave to sin which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So if you, if you live your life and you do what you want to do, you're God of it, you're the, the king of it, it's going to separate you from real life, it's going to separate you from real love. So in that sense, yeah, it may be a little confusing, but we all, in a sense, start our faith as a servant of God or as a slave of God. That's where we begin. But that isn't all that Jesus Christ paid for. And like I said, Paul and all the apostles referred to them as slaves in one phrase or another. But So let me ask this question. I'm going to ask you several questions today, but let me ask you this question to, to ponder in your brain. Do you love being a slave of the Father, a servant of the Father? Do you enjoy being in God's family? How do you feel about that? Where's your heart at on that? And, and I know there's a church answer. Yes, yes, yes. I want the Monday answer. I don't want the Sunday answer. I always want the Monday answer, okay? I, I believe in real life, not just religious coded. I, how do I say that without being offensive in church? Never mind, I'm going to give up right there. So anyway. <laughs> do you love being Christ, or do you resent that this is what it takes to be a child of God? Do you resent the fact That now it seems like there are all these extra demands on your life. Do you dislike the rule of heaven upon you? Again, I'm not asking Sunday you. I'm asking Monday you. The one who's got to go to work. The one who's got to figure out how to pay bills. The one who has arguments with their spouse. How do you feel about that rule? And that's what we're coming after today. This part of us that resents it. This part of us that resents it. And that's the part of us that Paul's speaking to when he writes, you are no longer a slave, but are God's own child. You are no longer a slave, but are God's own child. That's the part of you, the part of you that resents it. So let's learn. We're going to look at the older brother today in the prodigal son story. I'm going to jump a slider 16 accidentally. We're going to start in verse 25 of Luke 15. If you have an actual physical Bible, I'm in Luke 15 today and I'm using the NLT New Living Translation let's start (laughs) meanwhile the older son was in the fields working when he returned home he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what's going on your brother's back he was told and the father has killed the fatted calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return now maybe you don't know the rest of the story but I want to pause right there before I go to the next slide think about where we're at in the story if this were in your life you had a brother or a sibling who had run away for a, a time, and you'd been out working all week. You come home and find out there's a party going on at your parents' house, and your brothers come home or your siblings returned. How would you feel? What would you say to that? I mean, would you be excited that they're home? You're like, well, it would depend on my relationship with my brother or my relationship with my parents, or I'm sure there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. But generally, at this point in the story, you have an expectation of how this is going to go. And Jesus loves to throw curves. And so here's the curve. The brother's home, covered in dirt and work. The older brother was angry, angry, ticked off, mad, immediately. We're not talking like he stewed over and got angry. He didn't even know his brother's back. He didn't have anything to be mad about all day long, I guess. But now the party's going on. The older brother is instantly. Angry. Want to make me angry? Just add my brother. I guess that's how that works, okay? And he wouldn't go in. He wouldn't. His father came out and begged him. The father came out and begged him. But he replied, Now I want you to hear the older brother, because it's going to speak to the slave spirit in you. You're going to resonate with it. All these years I have slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, he's your son, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? You know what I hear? I hear that Toby Keith song. It's all about me. All about That's all I know of it. <laughs> Sorry. But I like that part. That's pretty good. Sometimes I sing it to my wife that part, just over and over and over. Is anyone else married to somebody like that? They only know one line, but they don't quit. So <clears throat> what about me? I've slaved for you. I've never refused you. And you never gave me anything. Never gave me anything. Your kid ever say that to you right before you popped him? Oh no, you don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. Sorry. <clears throat> He's furious. He is so furious, he's acting like a temper tantrum three-year-old and will not go into the party. Are you seeing this? Is, is that, Did we get the picture painted? Because that's the picture you need to see. You need to see this terrible acting brother who's in, we see so much about him and his relationship with his father. So what's his father do? The father said to him, look, dear son. Tender terms here. Dear son, ranting, raving, temper tantrum son, dear son. You've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. How is the Father going to give him what he already possesses? Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So, that's our slave, the older brother. We call him a slave because that's what he said. I have slaved for you every day. Haven't denied you in any way. I want to learn from him. Before we get into application, let's think a little bit about the story. Let's think a little bit about Jesus telling the story. Jesus loved to tell stories, loved to tell parables because he knew the people, he knew how people were created, and knew they would love stories. And so he tells the story, and, he, and Jesus has a knack for taking the person that normally you would think is the hero and making him the villain, and the person who normally thinks the villain and making him the hero. Like in this story, you have the younger brother who is the villain, but by the end of the story, he's the hero. The older brother who's the faithful son, but by the end of the story, he's the villain. Jesus has a way of throwing these hooks in there, just turning things around to make you think and look at yourself. He's probably coming after in his specific setting. Now, this story, all of Jesus' stories apply for all time. He, he meant them for you just as much as he did to the audience he was speaking to then. But he was probably at that time going after the Pharisees and their pride and their arrogance and how they looked down upon the common man. He may have been going after the Jews as a nation because of their racism toward the Gentile world and kind of preparing them for what was coming, which is, and by the way, Gentiles are anybody who's not a Jew, Okay. And so preparing the, the Jewish nation for the fact that the church is going to be comprised mainly of non-Jews. So, yeah, he, he's contrasting some of these ideas. But then, then he turns into this, this brother, this, this older brother. And uh, before I beat him up, let's make him a hero. I mean, let's be positive, okay? Positively. He, uh, he fulfills his duty. He gets the job done. Dad gives him a task list every day. He does the task. He's faithful at accomplishing his duty. He's diligent. He uh, he works hard. You get the idea from the text. He's been in the field all day. You can see him in your minds' eye, covered in the dirt and sweat of the day, as he's returning from the fields. You can you can. It's all in the story. You can see it. So he he fulfills his duty. He, he's very diligent about things, and he's obedient. Father, I do everything you tell me. And so when 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 God gives him the to do list, or when the father gives him the to do list, he does the to do list. So that's good, right? You teach your kid these things, right? This, you were raised to be diligent, fulfill your duty, to obey the authorities that are over you, that are righteous. You, you, this is normal. So that's good, right? Amen. Yes. Amen. Thanks, Sue. That's what I was waiting on. You're like, we're going to be here all day. If you don't help me out, yes. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Thanks, Sue, for moving this thing on. Anyway. Why is he just standing there? Anyway, sorry. Sorry, I just talked. This is conversation in my head. But there are some negatives, too. You do not blow up on a person that you are in good relationship with. Okay? You don't just, <clears throat> when the relationship is healthy. There's got to be tension that drives that before that. And so, obviously, Jesus is portraying a relationship between the older brother and the father that's got some tension going on, and it's all coming from the brother, not the father. Okay? And so, he, he, uh, he, doesn't, he does not love, he certainly doesn't love what he's doing for the father. He's not happy in the family business. Something in him must resent the father for this kind of action It it just seems like, or this reaction, just seems like there's some some slow burn tension. Another negative I see is he says to the Father, I do everything you told me to do. And what I see in that is um, I see a lack of motivation, and here's why. Uh, Many years I've run businesses, I've led in nonprofit organizations, all these kinds of things. Um, Motivated people, you may have to teach them how to do but you don't really have to tell them a lot of what to do they go they engage and they make things happen unmotivated people you have to give them lists you have to prod them you have to tell them what to do and check and make sure that they did it okay now any of you guys have ever been in management or led a team you've worked with both kinds most likely a motivated and unmotivated sadly the motivated person gets to do all the work and the unmotivated person gets more coffee breaks Uh, But anyway, we all know how that goes. So, now you're all resenting that. But anyway, which moves right into our series. Okay, so we're good, all right? He did what the Father told him, but he didn't have any ownership in the business. And that's where motivation comes from, ownership. Knowing that what you're doing makes a difference. Money does not motivate, by the way. Money just meets needs. What motivates you is knowing that you're making a difference. And so... He 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 had to be told what to do. And then lastly, he's jealous of his brother. And I want you to digest that just for a second. His brother, who uh, angrily approached his father, in a sense, got his inheritance before his father's dead, goes and blows it all on wild living, and ends up homeless, and now he comes home. His brother, the loser, he's jealous of. The brother, the failure, that's the one he's jealous of. Why? Because he got a party. I never got a party. Billy got a party, but I never got a party. Oh my gosh. I'm good at whining. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Oh, sure, I'll make that thing. Just stop whining. So, there's the brother. Let's take the brother who is living, who is technically a son in the father's household, but he's living like one of the servants, he's living like a slave. And we looked, we thought about what he was doing, the negatives in that. So now let's jump over and ask ourselves a question. Are you ready? Maybe not. Am I living an ordinary faith as a slave? Am I living an ordinary faith as a slave in the Father's household? Make no mistake about it. The slave is in the household. Okay? The orphan ran away. He was out of the household. If you, if you want to talk about who's in the kingdom, who's not, the, the slave can be there. But it doesn't mean he gets to enjoy any of the benefits. And so as you think about this, and you start to ask yourself, am I living my faith like a slave? Let me ask you a few more questions. Let's dive deep. Let's make ourselves think. Will you do that with me? Yes. yes. All right. Sounded like 30. 30 is good. I can take 30. Okay. The rest of you like, I'm gonna listen until the suffering stops. Okay, you got it. We'll do that too, okay? <laughs> First question Is it hard? Is this Christian thing, is this faith thing, following Jesus thing, is it hard? Can't find time for it? It's annoying to figure out how to work it into my schedule. Uh, is it a struggle? For you? Is it a struggle for you to believe that there is a God who is truly good, and yet your life has got all these problems in it? Have you ever looked up and said, Hey, think you'd make it easier since I follow you? I have many times. (laughs) God, hey, I'm your servant. You know, I'm telling everybody about you. You would think you'd make it a little easier on us, you know, at least. (laughs) Oh, man. Sometimes we struggle with faith because our circumstances are difficult, and we really look at our circumstances, and they cause us to question the goodness of God, which I think, is, I think is kind of silly, because so much of our life, we never ask God anything, and then we get into trouble, and somehow it's His fault that it happened. I, I don't understand the logic, but uh, aside from the enemy, that, that makes me understand it. So let me tell you a belief that I have. And you can say it's skewered or uh, that I'm crazy. It's been said before. I believe that the circumstances around you, the stuff you can see, touch, taste, feel, and how you process it with your mind and your lens, I think it's all a lie. I don't think it's true. If you're looking to your circumstances to try and comprehend who God the Father is, those circumstances cannot tell you who your Papa is. And so if, you live in, if you're living in the middle of some challenging circumstances right now, you, you, you can't look at God and blame him for those, and you can't determine how good God is or what your father's like based on the troubles in your life. Now, a verse that's really helped me move out of my circumstances and into something called rest is in Hebrews 4. I love it. It's one of my favorite verses and has been for many, many years. Of course, you know, I like Michael and I both say all the time, they're all my favorite <laughs> Except for Chronicles, man, Chronicles is tough. But anyway, Hebrews chapter four, verse (laughs) ten: For all who have entered, listen. For all who have entered God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. And then verse eleven: This is where God creates yet again. Attention. So let us do our best. Some translations use the word strive. Let us strive to enter that rest and i'm gonna stop right there for for the sermon okay strive to rest it's it's attention how do i do that how do i get out of these circumstances that are not truth the lens i read them with certainly isn't truth and move to a place of rest how do i calm the storm in my life is that a good question Because that is the source at the root of our struggles that we have, okay? So I I think there are two things that I would like to highlight that we can think about as we struggle with our circumstances. The first thing is inexperience. In some ways, many ways, the natural mirrors the supernatural. And what I mean to say by that is in the natural life, you have to learn how to do things, right? Right? There's a big difference between a beautiful instrument and playing an instrument beautifully, right? You can own a beautiful instrument, and it sounds like awful because you don't know how to play it. But if you invest the time energy, and if you're willing to play an instrument badly long enough, you can play that instrument beautifully in time. You have to be willing to do it poorly. The Christian life is the same way. We are all born in the Christian life by resurrection through Christ, something that he, his life is in us now. We get there through repentance and faith. We step into him, and bam, all of your eternal bank accounts are full. You're running on Papa's account now, okay? That's exciting, right? Boom, trust Jesus. I'm rich. Problem. Here's the problem. Uh, where's my debit card? Where do I get the checkbook on this account, okay? Okay you don't know. You're like, hey, that's exciting. Man, I, I have all these blessings in Christ. I have no idea how to get to them. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm hearing you. Okay? And <sighs> we would like God to just zap us. Wouldn't we? Like, boom, like the Matrix. You know, I lean back in a chair. Alright, I know stuff I didn't know before, right? <laughs> I just mixed up the sermon in my head when I shook like that. <clears throat> so, in life, you have to learn how to walk in the Spirit. You have to learn what God has given you. You have to step out in faith, sometimes on a raging sea. That's the striving part. That's the doing your best to enter the rest, stepping out. God says this is true. doesn't look true. never looks true. But God says it's true, so I'm going to step out and find out how that it's true and be willing to do it badly. Okay? So, sometimes we struggle in life, but just we're just inexperienced in things of faith. Does that make sense? Does yeah. that resonate? Okay. Then sometimes we struggle because we're double-minded. That's the King James word. Uh, we, we, have, uh, we have divided loyalty. Okay? We, uh, we want God to be king of our life, but we also would like to be king of our life. Right? I want God in charge. Only on the big stuff. I'll handle everything else. So, anyway, it's like that old joke where the guy says, When I got married, my wife said that she would handle all the little decisions, and I'll handle all the big ones, and we have never had a big decision yet. <laughs> <laughs> the women are going, I think that joke makes me uncomfortable. All right, so <sighs> I didn't say it. It was another guy who said it. See, I made, anyway, so James <laughs> 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 chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, James 1, 6, and 8 paints this for... Uh, James chapter 1, verse 6, and 8 lays this out for you. It says, When you ask God, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Okay? Now, in order of faith, we believe that Jesus is the answer. In John uh, 14, he says, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so when we say Jesus is the answer, we mean like only Jesus is the answer. Okay? So when we talk about being double-minded, a lot of times we're thinking, well, Jesus is the answer, but I have to really work hard to. Or, I need money in this situation. So yes, yeah, Jesus is the answer, but I, the, I need Jesus and money. I need Jesus and patience. I need Jesus and a relationship. I need Jesus and whatever. You fill in the blank. A lot of times, that's how we're approaching life. And what that reveals to us, maybe you never articulate it, but that's what your heart's saying. What that reveals to us is our own divided loyalty. We want God, but we also want some control ourselves. Okay? So either God is God in your life or He isn't. This is a yes or no. This really is a black or white. Okay? This isn't a... A multi-gray-mattered kind of thing. This is just what it is, okay? Jesus is the answer. So, rather than doubt, when you're in difficult struggles and circumstances, especially if you're struggling your faith, I want to encourage you to apply the gospel to it, but I want to come back to that idea later. Is okay? Can you remember that? The gospel. Just think the gospel, the gospel. Hold on to that. You're holding on? Yep. Yeah. Okay, got it. you are holding on to the gospel. The last thing I I want to ask is, or not the last, this isn't the last thing. Uh, This is a long sermon. Relax, relax. I don't know what you're (laughs) thinking. What are you thinking? Jeez, folks. So, um, why am I, are you struggling in your faith? The first question. Second question is, are you jealous of others? Are you jealous of others? And man, this week in my regular reading, I read uh, James chapter 3. And I'm telling you what. You need to read James chapter 3 the last half of the chapter for sure. The whole chapter's good. The first chapter is about how blabby your tongue is and the last part is about jealousy and selfish ambition, okay? And I'm telling you it just strips the lie off jealousy and se- selfish ambition. It's such a great passage. Uh, to think about, because when you see the older brother, you hear that whining, and that's what that jealous slave spirit does, whining, well, why don't I have the toys that Billy has, why doesn't God do this for me, he does it for them, I think I'm better than them, and they get it, what's going on, that's that whining heart, and I know some of you are like, I would never say that, I'm not talking about what you use your mouth to say, I'm talking about what your heart's saying, okay, And, and so we, is there that jealousy in you, that that creates problems for you and, and i gotta tell you i've been there man i i uh, started to, i surrendered to preach when i was 23 back in 1994 when don- dinosaurs roamed the earth you know and so young guys so i uh, surrendered to preach and i remember that first year after i surrendered you know like i'm like god i will preach anywhere i will teach you pray like this too, Michael? Did did you go through this? I will do anything. And then God gave you your first church and said, well, you said anything. (laughs) Sorry. That was a Michael Steve, Michael joke. not a, anyway. Um, and I remember over the years, you know, and man, I feel so sorry for the first couple churches I pastored. They heard so, it wasn't necessarily that I was bad preaching. It was just mean. And I, I was mean for a long time. And, um, I wouldn't listen to early me. I'm just saying, me in the 90s, early 2000s, I don't think I'd listen. Uh, And you should pray for this woman. She has listened to almost every sermon I've ever done, and it's amazing that she's not criminally insane. But anyway, (laughs) over the years, though, I've experienced jealousy. I've looked at folks younger than me, less talented than me, who had far less a clue about how spiritual things work, get the platforms and the notoriety. At least I felt that way. That was that slave heart coming out. Saying, what about me? Where's my fatted calf? How come he gets it? So, in your own heart, are you jealous? And last, in this point, do you feel resentment toward your father? Sometimes we get upset with God because he does not meet our expectations. And I will tell you something about God. He will always exceed your expectations, but he will almost never meet them. What do, you, what do I mean by that? God never does things your way. Do you know why? I don't mean to insult you, but you're not actually that smart. Sorry. The creator of the universe knows a couple more things than you. All right? understands relationships better than you, understands how what happens in your life is going to impact not just your life, but all the lives around your life. God knows. And so he's going to exceed your expectations but almost never meet those expectations. And so when we're going through the struggles and trials in life and here's God not meeting our expectations, we sometimes are like, that's not fair. When in our heart of hearts, we know we never want God to be fair with us. But that's not fair. And so it it can fuel a resentment. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Papa loves you. He, I'm not kidding. He's crazy about you in every possible way. James says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Now, God created some cool stuff. All right? I mean, here in Wyoming, man, we got some cool stuff God created. It's like, let there be Tetons, and bam, there was Tetons. <laughs> cool stuff. out of all the cool stuff that He created. He looks at you and goes, "That's my favorite. That's my special possession. That's you. So you're going through life thinking God's not good, thinking God doesn't love you, and all the while God's like, I am nuts about you. I'm more for you than you'll ever be for you. And so know that about your father, that he's crazy about you. Know that there's not anything he wouldn't do for you. Romans 8.32 says, Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So as you move through this questioning of yourself, Understand that all your problems lie in you and not the father. Your relational issues are coming from your side of the equation, not his side of the equation. He's crazy about you. This older brother, let's get back in the story just for a glimpse. They're arguing outside. Well, they're not arguing. The older brother's arguing. The father is pleading. The father's like, come join the party. We got tacos. I don't know if they had tacos or not, but I like tacos, so. I hope there were tacos. (laughs) The father is just pleading with the son to come in. All the relational problems are on the son's side. All of your problems with God are on your side. That's the slave heart. He's trying to get what he's already got. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to get what you've already got. As we transition into how to get out of this, how to go into the party, let me pose another question. Do you love what you get to do for the Father? Do you love what you get to do for the Father? So uh, I told you, it was in 1994, somewhere in there. That was when I was ordained. A bunch of guys crazy enough to anoint me to preach the gospel. I hope they don't have to pay for that. But anyway... 2000, I moved to Colorado to plant my first church under the supervisory work of a a dear God-loving man named Stan Felder. And um, when you're planting a church, you really don't have anything to start with, okay? You just, maybe a few people believe in what you're doing. You don't have enough money to do a whole lot of things, and so we didn't have a building or anything, so we met in an ambulance barn in Otis, Colorado, an ambulance barn. They had a an uncarpeted concrete floor conference room in the barn, and that's where we met. And Stanfelder had a bunch of these folding pew chair things. They were two uh, two chairs wide, and they folded, and they were super heavy. So that was my introduction to church planting: was setting up chairs and tables. That was God teaching me: you're going to do this the rest of your life. <sighs> It started there it started it was a notice. we went to Akron started working on a the work there. It was set up there uh, it, then uh, you know we came to Rock Springs after a time we started ordinary faith somewhere around ten years ago or so and ordinary faith started new church, nothing so here we go again. It's the college we had to set up chairs at the college and then two thousand and twelve we came to this building here and Every week, you come in. I come in on Saturday nights, and I set up the basics for the sound system. Steve comes in later and sets up the instrument part of it. we got some amazing guys, Brother Ed and Hank and Dan Fandrich and oh gosh, we got so many guys that help. I can't even catch them all. that come in, and they tear down tables and so forth, and, and I used to do a lot of that myself. And I remember one Sunday, I'm Saturday night, I'm going through, and I'm taking the lazy Susans off and griping to myself, I wish there was a Susan here to help me, and <laughs> nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go home and eat worms, see that kind of thing, you know, popping tables up and whining, because I mean 10 years <laughs> and something like this, you know, and uh, I'm like, God, other churches in town, they have buildings, I don't have a building, what's going on? Is it annoying or what? It's pretty annoying. <laughs> God was pretty annoyed. <laughs> He's like, So I'm flipping tables, setting up chairs, trying to get the worship team stuff ready, and I'm just whining to God. And it's kind of like he said this, and this has happened many times. I'm telling you a story that's happened many times. And he said, uh, Michael, do you love doing it for me? And I'm like, I love you. (laughs) I love you. I love you, God. You're okay. (laughs) And he did me just like he did Peter. Like, no, do you love doing it for me? And I learned over time that I'm not just setting up a room to have church. Ed, Dan, Hank, oh, gosh. I wish I could remember everybody's name. James is helping us. What we do every Sunday, Michael and Steve, we're like Levites that had to move and set up the temple of God, the tabernacle, when it was still a tent. And we're just building a space for God to show up in. That's 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 what we're doing. So now, I still have my whiny days, especially when we don't have enough help or something. Saturday nights at 4.30... That was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Saturday at 4.30. <laughs> but now, as we set up chairs, I'm praying. I'm praying for the person who's going to sit there, asking God to reveal anything to me that I might need to know. Asking them to have an encounter with Jesus. What am I doing? Lighting the candles in the tabernacle. Laying out the showbread on the table and it's not just me it's these guys too do you love what you get to do for your father because that can be hard can it And your mom and those kids are little and uh... you find yourself with no sleep and you sound like your mother that first time isn't this no wonder my mother was insane that's what you think she wasn't insane it was you and so when you're going to work guys and you're like I just I, I hate this job and I don't want to do this and my boss is making me sick and do you love what you did to do for the father See what I'm saying So the slave back to the slave He's standing outside the door and he's sticking his foot on the ground acting like that tantrumy 3-year-old. I don't think tantrumy is a word, so don't quote me on that. And the Father's begging him to come in. And so here's what the Father wants you and me to do today. Come into the party. Enter the party. And so how do we enter the party? How do we come in the party? So earlier I told you that we need to learn the gospel. We need to preach the gospel things. Do you remember me saying the gospel earlier? Everybody say the gospel. gospel. All right. The gospel is just a, uh, the word just means good news, or it's translated from a word that means good news, Okay. And so we need to learn how to, instead of living in our disruptive circumstances, to preach the gospel, the good news, instead of the bad news, the good news to those circumstances. So this is how we enter the party. So what is the gospel? Glad you asked. Romans chapter 10, verse 5. Moses writes that the the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all his commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart... Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Oh, that's a good setup, Paul. What's the message? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Do you believe Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God? Yes or no? All right. If you believe that, you will be saved. A confession of lordship. What does that mean? I'm out of my. I'm no longer king of my life. I am not commander of my ship. Jesus is Lord over that and I believe that the power of God raised Jesus from the dead and now as a result of this that power is going to live in me for it is believing in your heart that made you right with God it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved and as the scriptures tell us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced so what am I supposed to do with this because so often we connect the gospel to the moment of conversion, which is not a biblical term. Conversion is not a Bible term. Discipleship is a Bible term, not conversion. Okay? So we normally connect the gospel to, to a moment in our minds that the Bible doesn't even speak about. Why is this does this matter? Because the gospel starts at conversion. And the gospel is how we live. After conversion, does that make sense? The gospel is not just for a moment it 's for a lifetime. So how does that practically apply because if it 's not practical i don 't know what to do with it. So this is where we preach the gospel. I need you to learn how to talk to yourself. I need people around you to start thinking you 're crazy. How many of you are already ahead of the curve? Yeah, all, right. all my friends think i 'm crazy. <laughs> uh, sorry sorry i don 't know where that came from, but. <laughs> So you're in a middle, maybe you're in a a struggle right now, or maybe you just came out of one. This is how life is. Crisis, peace, crisis, peace. So if it's peaceful right now, you know a crisis is coming, right? And if you're in a crisis right now, sooner or later, peace is coming, okay? So here's what I need to teach you to do. This is what you need to take from Romans 10. Start preaching the gospel to your problems. What do you mean, Michael? Oh, make this, bring it home pretty good. Any of you guys ever have trouble in your marriage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, it's brutal. (laughs) Excuse me. All right. So you get into that fight with that person you love more than anything in the world. They're your person, man. You love them. But not right now. Right now, you want to strangle them. Right now, you want them to stop breathing just for a second, just so they'll pass out. And this fight can be over. I get it. And here's what's going on. You're getting the bad news preached in the back of your head. The bad news is this is never going to get any better. This relationship never going to change. My partner's never going to understand me. We're never going to communicate. We're never going to get past this. It's, going to, it's just awful. It's bad. It's bad. And that's the bad news coming in. So the good news is what? Jesus is Lord. Say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The good news is Jesus is Lord. And so now it's time to preach the gospel to your marriage. Jesus is Lord over this marriage. He's Lord over my husband, who I do not understand and who makes decisions that I do not like. Lord over my wife, who talks in ways that I certainly don't understand and uses way too many words. That's me, your wife, not my wife. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 Jesus is Lord over this marriage. He's in charge. He's the captain of this ship. And as we preach that gospel to this situation and declare Jesus is Lord over every lost situation, things begin to change. Start preaching the gospel to it. Say, well, what good is that going to do, Michael? i tell you what. Why don't you start preaching the gospel to your problems and see what happens? Because right now, your problems are preaching a bad gospel to you. They're preaching the bad. Your problems are telling you God's not good. Your problems are telling you your father doesn't love you. Your problems are telling you it's never going to change, and it's always going to be awful. Those are your problems, and they lie. They are storms. You learn to rest in Christ. You strive for the rest in Christ. You're going to have so much peace in you that you can be like Jesus and step out of a boat in the middle of a storm, and the peace in you will be so strong that the storm will be forced to cease. Amen. Excuse me. So Jesus is Lord over this problem, okay? The next thing you need to do, we need to learn to preach the gospel to our problems. Second thing, we need to stop listening to old you. What do I mean? The minute you came to faith in Christ, your old nature that was in bondage to sin, was nailed to the cross with Christ, crucified with Christ, died with Christ, went in the tomb with Christ, did not come out with Christ. God looked at us and said, you know what? I can't do anything with it. I'm just going to kill it. And I'm going to recreate it into my son and daughter. Okay? So that old you is dead. And that's where your conflicts are coming from. That's the bad news voice in your head. And if you think about it, the old nature nailed to a cross. He doesn't have anything good to say. There's nothing positive coming out of a crucified person's mouth unless they happen to be Jesus. And so Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants to do. You guys know that struggle, right? That inner conflict. You came to faith in Christ, and now you're a conflicted person. Why? Because you have a dual nature now. There was a part of you that was dead before and now is alive. The Spirit of Christ is alive in you, has your, made your spirit alive, and so now there's a part of you that desires right, but there's also that part of you that desires to you, it desire's wrong, okay? And so that's the voice speaking. So you have to learn how to stop listening to the old you. The, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Just because that voice in you is speaking does not mean you have to listen to it. So we have to learn how to lay down our old life and to surrender to Christ. This is very important. Because the root of the gospel is surrender. And you men in the house, we don't like to surrender, do we? No, we don't. But we have to. Have to surrender. But it's okay. Do you know why? Because when you surrender, you get in the right army and join the right fight. If you lived in the 40s in Germany, and you were part of a government that was committing atrocities and declaring war on the world, The best thing that you could do morally would be to surrender to an allied force, to leave your nation behind and join the side of right, join their army and fight for right. That's you would surrender to change loyalties, to leave evil and join right. The world you were born in is evil. It commits all kinds of atrocities and then stands here and tells you how good it is and proclaims its goodness while destroying life and other people and using up the world. It's time to change sides. So surrender isn't about just submission. Surrender is about finding a new commander. It's about finding a king worthy of serving. Does that make sense? It's about getting in a battle that's worth fighting. So we got to stop listening to that old nature. The... the, uh, the news media of our mind that keeps telling us the bad news. And we need to start chasing the new you. Start pursuing all that Christ has paid for for you. Because the Bible says you are blessed with every, bless, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Your bank account is full. Everything is yours now. But we don't know how to access access it. And so this is where the pursuit comes in. We are to pursue, that's how we enter the rest. We pursue after everything that Christ has purchased for us. Paul put it this way He said, I have already, and not that I have already obtained it and have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. See in life you can't just stop a negative you have to fire off a positive There's a there's a balance there's just there's a tension in life that just exists and the Bible affirms it that you can't just stop one thing you'll create a void nature abhors a void God abhors a void Satan loves a void because he can fill it with negativity and who he is and with sin and all kinds of things and so you have gotta lay down the old person but then you have to pursue the new person go after what Jesus Christ has purchased for you now so Excuse me, we preach the gospel to it. We lay down the old man. We pursue the new man. Then we enter the party. Father's at the door. I got an amazing buffet. You look like you like food. (laughs) Come on in. Enjoy the party. What does that mean practically? So I want to jump into Corinthians real quick. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 9. This is what the scriptures mean when they say no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We're used to that text. We like it. We think about heaven. What's really starting to annoy me at this current stage of my life is that people stop at verse 9 and don't jump into verse 10. Because verse 10 changes everything, the meaning of what verse 9 says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has entered in the hearts of men. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Are you ready? But it was to us, to you, to me, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. No one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. Do you understand what Paul is telling you? It's like God says, I have this amazing buffet for you. This part of life you know nothing of yet. I'm inviting you into a party like the likes you have never experienced, filled with wonders, filled with the deep secrets of God, filled with personal relationship, filled with power and strength, all of this for you. I just want you to come in, and that's what the Father is doing to your slave heart right now, that's struggling with him, struggling with your circumstances, Papa stands at the door to a huge buffet saying, please come in. Amen. So, I want you to get hungry for more. If your Christian life and your faith is uh, just going to church, there's more. If it's a morning devotion, hidden church when you can, there's more. If, if it's prayer and worship on top of that and Bible study, there's more. If on top of that there's ministry and helping people and trying to see life change and waiting on God, there's more. There is never not going to be more. It's always more. My Papa is infinite. There is no end to His wonders and joys. You do not have to wait to go to heaven because God has placed heaven in you. Do you understand? Yeah. No eyes seen, no ears heard. Like, ought I die, I'm going to get to see what no eyes seen, no ears heard, and I'm like saying, no, you already died. You died on the cross with Jesus Christ, and then God put heaven in you through Christ. And so you, my friends, have these wonderful joys of God that are available to you if you will just press in, if you will learn to strive for the rest. There is love and joy and peace and power and strength and self-control and all those things that you need in your life. They're already in Christ. They're in your bank account. Learn how to write the check. Amen? I close on what David said. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see that the Lord is good and so I'm challenging you your faith boring or it's hard I'm suggesting that we're doing it wrong I'm suggesting that there's a relationship that can be had with the Father that there is a, a joy that can be known in God that can't be known in anything else you do in this life and so I'm going to challenge you to taste and see if the Lord is good. We're about to do communion. And so there's a broken cracker because Christ's body is broken for us. There's a cup of juice because his blood was poured for us. As you take that cracker and dip it into that juice and you eat it, yeah, you're going to taste a cracker and juice. I want you to taste that your father is good. I want you to stand there before your God in that moment as an individual or as a family or as someone's around you and as a community together. I want you to say to yourself, I don't want to resent you, Father. I don't ever want to be upset with you ever again. I want in the party. If your Christian life isn't fun, you're not doing this right. And it is fun. In fact, this is kind of why I do what I do, because I got tired of churches making Jesus look like a drag. (laughs) I've had that deacon that looked like he was baptized in dill pickle juice. (laughs) As you take that cracker, learn to enjoy your Father's goodness. Ask Him to teach you. Learn to taste. Know that Father has so much more for you than you know right now. And ask for him to give it to you. Wait in his presence to receive it. Learn what it means to live in authority. But that will be our last sermon in the series. If you miss it, you won't know. And as you take communion today, I just ask you to learn to enjoy your Father. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Lord. I pray that you bring some slaves home today in their hearts. I pray that if anyone's struggling with anything I've said or anything that their heart is tormenting them about, I pray that they will get some prayer. They will talk to somebody before they go. Maybe at our prayer tables over here on my right, their left, maybe they'll go to the prayer area and have someone pray for them. But I I don't want people to leave conflicted when that was not my intent. Father, my intent's freedom. My 10 is the sons and daughters of the king who love what they do for father and they love their relationship with the father and they are experiencing more and more every year of how good he is. Father, that their relationship with you is so much more than religion and tasks and duty, but it's life. So Lord, as we take communion, I ask you to bless these symbols, the cracker and the wine. Connect us with Jesus. Let us remember that we died with him. Old self is over. And let us remember that we live by his life. His last breath upon the cross is the breath that empowers my days. I pray, Lord, that you strengthen this body through this communion and the worship to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand, come down the center aisles, go to a table, circle around the outside and go back to your seat. We'll close on a song and a prayer.